and the rules as you lived in Egypt, the rules in the street is very, very hard to grasp for someone who uh, is not from here or didn't stay long enough or, you know, it takes time to understand the codes of the streets. So it could be this street that you can dance and be next to it or by the end of it, you can do anything. Hello, everyone. You're listening to the Baladance Live podcast. I'm your host, Jana Komarnitska, and I'm thrilled to share a new portion of dance inspiration with you. If you are a new listener, welcome to the show. Don't forget to subscribe and receive automatic updates about our new episodes. And if you are our regular listener, welcome back. Please leave your reviews on whichever app you're listening. They really help me promote the show and spread awareness about Baladance art form. Plus, I really like like hearing back from you. On this note, let's get to our today's episode. Discover what blocks your progress and how to overcome your training limitations. Hey, fabulous dancers, it's time to elevate your ballet dance habits and take your skills to the new heights. Feeling stuck with inconsistency, unsure of progress or craving creative vibes? I've got the remedy. Dive into our free 10-minute quiz designed to identify your main dance limitations. After the quiz, you'll get 5 to 10 personalized actionable steps, a mindset-shifting book recommendation, list of related podcast episodes, and articles to guide your dance journey. Kickstart this year by cultivating better dance habits. Curious? Check the link in the show notes and take the quiz right now. Your dance breakthrough awaits. Visit yanadanceclub.com quiz and let the quiz light the way. And the best thing, it's totally free and takes only 10 minutes to complete. Get clarity on your dance goals and improve your practice habits. It's yanadanceclub.com quiz. Link in the show notes. Our today's episode will completely rock your mind and shake your belief if you really know much about Mahraganat music and dance. Because today I'm talking with the author of book Mahraganat in Egypt Between Acceptance and Rejection, Hand Albaluti. Hand is a choreographer, performer and author originally from Egypt. She holds a master degree in performing arts from a university in Germany, bachelor degree in production design from Institute of Cinema Studies in Egypt and three years degree in contemporary dance from Cairo Contemporary Dance Center. She works across mediums, combining and mixing them in accordance to the project at hand. In the last few years, she collaborated and presented many multidisciplinary art pieces such as From Gold, video exhibition in Hamburg, The Kitchen, Dance Performance Berlin, Absence, a group exhibition at Co-Culture Art Space Berlin. In 2021, she created a performance inspired by the local street dance and music in Egypt known as Mahraganad, for which she received also a special award. Hans strives to produce and participate in socially aware dance pieces, constantly exploring the role of art as a tool to empower the individual and bring out those neglected modes of expression. In our today's conversation, we will talk about Han's personal dance journey and what led her to research specifically Mahraganat. We, of course, will talk a lot about book and 
some things that she featured in the book. It was such a great pleasure for me to actually read through the book and then have this discussion about topics mentioned in the book, but also about the book production itself. But we will highlight a couple things that you can read more in the book. For instance, we will talk about the concept of professional Mahargana dancers and what actually it means when we are talking about professional dancers in Mahargana style. We talked about the concept of a street as private community space and the fact that Mahraganat is one of those very few, if not the only one, then style that still can be seen on streets in Cairo. We also discussed in depth the nature of Mahraganat style and uh, how it's uh, a conversation. Is it really a dance or is it a practice? And uh, we discuss some dark moments or some edgy moments and even the, the idea of why would dance sometimes possibly can turn into a fight and why would that happen? And we of course talked a lot about the book itself and the process of creating book, the very special design, the intentions, the interviews were included in the book. I said it during conversation, but I'll tell you here in advance, I think this is a book that you really would love to dance. It's one of those very unique works about a very specific subject. There is not much material, there is not much documentation, and there is not much research yet about Mahraganat, at least structured research like this. And this is one of the books that I strongly believe should be your next addition to your dance library. I also should mention in advance that we talked about some, let's say, dark sides of the subject, so it's not a light-hearted conversation, but this is definitely one of those precious conversations that definitely will give you more understanding about culture, social, political, historical context of dance itself. And we, as ballet dancers, we often give a try to do Mahraganata on stage ourselves, or we watch other dancers, or we do some movements to uh, put maybe in some modern pop songs. So it's definitely something that we need to understand more about the dance style itself, because dance is never only about movement. It's always about the context, the history, and culture behind it. So I hope you will enjoy this conversation. I'm pretty sure you will enjoy it, and at least from the point of view of enriching your understanding of dance. Don't forget to screenshot and share with your friends. That's how we grow as a podcast, and that's how you can show your appreciation to the project and to our guests who invest all their time in doing these conversations and sharing freely, openly with you all insights about their work, their process, and their experience. So, on this note, let's dive in. Jelena and Belly Dance Evolution are back, taking their show and programs across the globe. You know how many guests we had previously on this podcast shared how much their experience with BDE pushed their dance career. You can have it too. Audition for Jelena's latest production and join Jungle Book cast. All details at www.joinbde.com. Direct link in the show notes, joinbde.com. I am 
really excited about this conversation. I wanted to have it for such a long time uh, before I read your book, after I read your book. So I'm really happy we are doing so. Welcome to the Balladance Life uh, podcast. And <laughs> hi, I'm also very excited. <laughs> So before we start talking about, obviously, your book and your research uh, in Mahagana dance, I want to ask you, uh, what about your personal dance journey? How did everything uh, started for you? Because uh, dance is not just your passion. You also did university degree related to dance and uh, your professional dances. So how did dance enter your life, especially in a professional level? Yeah, I mean, um, I think I really liked uh, dance since I was a kid, but uh, for many reasons, uh, uh, it was not possible for me to train as a kid. So um, I started after the revolution. Uh, it was a revolution from, like, revolution for everything. So I... I decided that this is something that I really wanted to do since long. I always, I, I've been dancing in school. I was doing all the school uh, performances, you know, like uh, with groups. So I, I always ended up in the activity in the school when I was a teenager or younger in the dance team. Uh, but I was never trained dancer. I did many other things. Uh, and then after the revolution, there was this um, uh, Cairo Contemporary Dance Center. Uh, directed by Karima Mansour. Uh, they started to do this program three years for professional dancing. And uh, the program was very nice. I went to the audition three days and then I was accepted and the journey started uh, 2012. Uh, and I think this journey just took me like it was kind of not possible that you do anything beside or it was really hard. So we like five, six hours per day every day um, and I think it just took me the journey and this was like a door where I kept discovering things changed my relation to my body and I think my relation to my body really mm, was always transforming um, and yeah so dance was like I really wanted to have this journey with my body I didn't know it by then now I'm reflecting on it and intellectualizing but mm -hmm. I think back then just a mask it's just like listening to what my body wants and I just I knew that I always wanted to dance so I, there was no doubt that I will try and then when I got accepted it was like okay let's see where this will take me hmm. back yeah. then did you envision a profession in dance in Egypt especially um I I don't think so I don't think I was really thinking like ahead, I I just used it as uh, something that I really enjoyed it, and I I um and I was just uh, absorbed, right? And um, I was working in the cinema field, so it was not really far away. This is how I met Karima. Actually, we met in a like film location, um, and I saw her with her dancer. They were doing like dance scene in the movie, and I was looking at them, and I was like, oh, this is nice. And then I heard about the school, um, and I think I didn't really think uh, that I would change profession. And I think I, as a person, I always went with what 
went with the flow, you know, like I also started, like I was studying science before and then I went to study cinema and then from cinema I started dance. And I think movement and text was where the things that really stayed from childhood until now, like those, those are the two things that I, I have passion towards and movement in the broad uh, meaning of it, like not necessarily dance. So I don't think I I thought about it back then. Uh, but definitely, yeah. But after graduating from the school and uh, trying to find festivals and workshops abroad and all this, I think doors were opening. So I was like, okay, why not? I was just, you know, like it came to me. So it was like, I'm just going with what's happening. So, yeah. How the flow brought you to Germany? Because I know you did part of your study there. <laughs> <laughs> this is a very good question. How the flow brought me to Germany? Um, I think um, for many personal political reasons, I really needed to change and I wanted to have a different relation to Egypt. So... Actually, I wanted to travel since younger. Like after I finished the dance, I was always uh, searching for um, programs or master, or... but it never happened. There was always something. And also the, the, the country was changing. So I also felt a bit guilty to leave and there was this relation. And then in a certain moment, I uh, really felt again the flow that I need to have a different perspective of my life in uh, Cairo and Germany was just I didn't choose Germany I think Germany chose me it was like or Germany didn't choose me as well I don't know I actually had uh, uh, I applied for three uh, universities uh, one in Iceland one in Sweden and one in Germany and actually the one that I really wanted was in Iceland because the program was very nice but it was very hard to find any uh, relation between Iceland and Egypt and also the language and it's very expensive. And so it was not easy to, to think how I would secure my life there. And then Sweden, I had, um, it was also, I applied for the scholarship that said they will give it to me. And then they sent me an email, sorry, we don't, we won't give it to you. So I had a bad feeling towards, so I also deleted it. And then there was Germany that was, easier i didn't really twist myself i knew people in germany so i could ask how can i uh, earn living and people were you know like it was not really far away there was a, a cultural relation between germany and egypt that is really uh, there you know so you can ask lots of people i didn't have a scholarship but for me it was the easiest in regards of community uh, the program not necessarily was the thing that I chose, uh, but actually I'm very grateful for the journey because it was the the, the university, uh, KHM, uh, Academy of Media Art. Uh, it's very open and I think it was very good to what I needed back then. And I, um, it was very free. You could choose what you want. And um, for me, it was... And instead of having a program that is very fixed and you're just following it as a student, 
you actually can influence the program with your experience. And they mainly choose people with experience more than certificates. So some people who studied with us, they didn't never uh, studied in university or school, you know, just with the profile and the CV. So I like this aspect of the academy. And uh, looking back, I think it was a good choice. Uh, but yeah, it was just a chat, like a random... <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> it was just it's like it happened, you know. The flow. <laughs> yeah, the flow was just. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, your years in Germany definitely gave a seed for your upcoming book. It was not exactly related to, to things, uh, but actually speaking about your book about Mahragana dance, um, I know it had a couple of stages, this project ha had a couple of stages of how you saw it and envisioned it, and then it ended up as a book. But um, can you share what was your inspiration and idea to research specifically Mahraganat book and how it ended, sorry, to research Mahraganat's uh, style and how it ended up as a book? Mm -hmm. Uh, I think um, it's when mm, okay. I was raised in a in a in a neighborhood where I actually saw uh, the knife fights, and I saw this with my eyes as a kid. So it's I think all this information about the uh, poorer neighborhood in, in Cairo was in back back of my head. But I I came from a middle class where my parents were like uh, trying very hard to make me um, different than the surrounding. But I always had this emotional connection to what I, like my friends in the street and stuff. Uh, but so I was an observer more than uh, someone who practiced this because my mom would never, like I was always like the one coming from the intellectual family. I have to wear uh, sneakers going down, but my friends play with the slipper, you know? And I always had this be more belonging more to, to this than the other friends with the political, intellectual friends of my parents. Um, or I belonged everywhere, but uh, I had this emotional connection to, to the streets. And, but because I, I you, you come, yeah, I mean, you live and you are surrounded by this uh, thing. So you don't really, when I detach myself from the, from the, society when I was in, in Germany I had a block I was not dancing for long and I I couldn't I feel I'm looping in a and then I started to tell myself okay maybe I'm not a good contemporary dancer I don't know but I, I need to to know how my body wants to move and why and I didn't take it um, I was so I was blocked for a long time I was not feeling well and then I decided that one hour per day I would just put music and dance and it's not for research it's not for anything I just do this for myself and I realized that I ended up with the belly dance and mohraganot I don't even think of how I move and I really feel good after I don't necessarily know how why and how I'm doing this in specific movements but my body just moves with the music it's very familiar and just give me the trance and then I started to ask myself why do why do I feel like this towards this music and what's this music is doing to me and I was also teaching belly dance parallel to that and it was the easiest job I am not a trained belly dancer like I never trained 
as a belly dancer. But of course, I just did it since I'm very young. And I it was funny because the when I teach, there was a Russian uh, belly dancer before me as a teacher. And the, the, the participants were telling me that she had names for every move. And I didn't. I was just telling them, you know, we do this. And they told me that I had this approach that is more like emotional because I was not... Um, Afterwards, I started to do like them, like to prepare and know the names of the movement. But I usually did it just because I love it and I feel good when people join me in that. Um, so Mahraganat basically came like this. And then Corona came and um, I, yeah, the journey of the project that I was graduating from the master uh, program and I wanted to do something about class and art um social class and art and uh because there was like this wave of uh, uh against mahraganat and mahraganat singers in egypt and they were like closing them and not let them perform blah blah, blah. not the dance because the dance comes only in specific places but the music became really famous after the revolution and it was everywhere and so yeah i i think when everything shut down, I was doing the thesis, I was writing. So I started from there to write a paper for my professor, like a paper about like the social class and the art that is produced in marginalized um, uh, groups and the, re the relation between this and the intellectual art or like institutional art. Um, and then from there, I started to write and I... I I think this was the most the the most enjoy like joyful uh, easiest uh, research. I was really like reading and I really liked it and reading things about hip hop and break dance and I don't know like it was really nice and I was enjoying it. Um, but as you said, the the original idea was that I wanted to do a performance and I wanted to do a movie about documentary because the academy where I was it's not it's not about like the academy is for media art and like a bit of performance but mainly it's cinema and documentary and camera so I thought about uh, documentary movie about uh, the guy who was teaching me how to dance was uh, Behet who was also in the book uh, teaching me how to dance was knife so I started yeah, I started to take classes because I wanted to dance with the knife uh, without really thinking about anything. And I, of course, as an approach, as a dancer, I wanted to do performance. And then from there, Corona happened. I was locked. So I started to read and write. And then I wanted to do the documentary about Behe and uh, Ale and Shahd. Um and then the academy was like, I mean, Corona and Germany, and they were against, and it was there was lots of obstacles, so I couldn't. Um, then I decided I I already had like filmed interviews, and I filmed a bit in a in a wedding party, uh, where I had dance and stuff. Um, and then I decided, okay, I'm not going to face the wall. I just want to produce something uh, with these people. Uh, so I stayed and I put all the research together and it was like, okay, it's a book now. And it's, uh, I think, one of the easiest in regards, not, of course, it was long and there was other stuff, logistics, but for me, it was just happening again, the flow. It, 
just brought me there and I was like, okay, I always wanted to write. I love writing. I'm a writer since I'm really, really young. Uh, and it's my language um, as well. Uh, actually, maybe I would say more than dance. Like, I mean, I, I write more than I dance, but yeah. So it ended up from movement that I'm trying to learn, performance to movie is not happening to a book. Um, yeah. When so. I was reading your book, one of the things, there was quite a lot, but one of the things that really got me surprised, and I'm talking from perspective of basically foreign ballet dancer, that, yeah, we all know about Maharganat, we try to dance it, we put on competitions, we kind of like, okay, we know that it's this um, very um, uh, conflicting uh, style of dance and music that is uh, love and hate <laughs> uh, in Egypt. So we kind of know things about Mahakana. But one thing that got me really surprised, it's when you mentioned about professional Mahakana dancers. And you were not talking about belly dancers, who are professional belly dancers who do Mahakana as a part of the show. You actually were talking about professional Mahakana dancers. So can you talk a little bit about that and especially from the point of view of your research about Mahagana dance how much it came from you know like just people hanging out and dancing and how much it came from interaction with professional dancers and what exactly it means professional Mahagana dancers mm -hmm. um, the thing is that belly dance is um very old it's very specific it's changing of course with the time and with the music influence but it is like it is what it is you know and i think mahraganet dance is more like the street dance that accompany the belly dance because the belly dance is what happens in the all the social parties and belly, you know like it's the the tool that the people usually use and Mahraganat dance, I would say more, is like this element of street dance that changed. So um, I was interested in this vocabulary more than belly dance because belly dance, I know, uh, has a different um, platform. Uh, and the belly dance that those people dance in the street, it's still different than belly dance as a performance act, you know. So um, when I met Behe, I was I wanted to know. I, I was not sure if there's people who do that professionally, if they train or not. I don't know, like if they just do it as we use belly dance as well, like in social um, events or. And then Behe was telling me that actually the, 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 the scene of the dance. So the music is there and the music is influencing the movement. But also there is this those young people who actually uh, challenge each other and they go train and they know break dance so you have all the elements so that the street dance uh, which is now called Mahraganot because it's related to the music but actually it has hip-hop and break dance and belly dance and uh, other things that has no name yet I don't know so um, they train they go to like a hall they do gymnastics and they do training and they challenge each other and it's about, uh, of course, with the with TikTok and all the social media things, people are like, okay, I will put a video now with this new move that I learned, and then another one wants to beat this, so they start to like do battles, and you know, so it's it's a community, 
um, and I asked Behe if they would go to a wedding uh, to perform for people and they said they they don't usually do it for money but they it's they train and they 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 could do like an event for people that they don't know like uh someone will tell them okay my cousin's getting married and you just come to uh fire up the wedding and blah blah so they come and they do like movement and stuff um i think when we say professional dancers um i don't think this term is applicable for maharbanot dancers but i i like to say that they are professional in the way that they know what they're doing not necessarily that it's a profession but it's they they are the they are the people who are shaping this movement and changing it and you know like um uh but mm, very few of them that takes it to the professional and I have uh, like colleagues who and friends who are uh, they are Mahabharat dancers they know how to dance this uh, very well because they also were, were raised in uh, such neighborhoods and uh, but they learned contemporary and now they are mixing both together and I think it's a vocabulary uh, a dance vocabulary that is very um very unique and if you also use it with other if you learn it's like languages you know so if you learn this or you know it and then you add all the contemporary things or whatever language that you're learning then you're always uh, having some unique mixture you know mm -hmm. that makes you more uh, free i think um so yeah i think they are professional from my point of view because uh or as you see in the book it's all this. Are we talking about social uh, act, or are we? Can we call it dance, or can we call it a social? You know, I'm not the person who talk about them. I I tried so much hard to make it them speaking about themselves, and they tell me what it is, and I don't want to put. Of course, I have to have the opinion, but I wanted not to talk about them because I see this also. This is the problem with academia, from my point of view. Um, so I think. Mm, the social uh, privilege sometimes prevent them to be in the platform. And I think it's the exactly same with hip hop and voguing and all this community who were created. And then the, the, the white, more privileged people could reach to Madonna or whatever, you know, like the TV, then they took the vocabulary and went there. So I think it's the same. So there's lots of uh, movies or songs where they are using the Maharbanat uh, movement, but I don't know if it's those people are from there or just people using it. We're not, of course, in Egypt. Like there's no no direct appropriation because we're all Egyptian in a way, and we're all affected by this. But there is an appropriation if you're not mentioning the people, if you're loving them in a specific, but hating them in the other. You know, like it's just very very tricky when it comes to Maharbanat because. Um, there is this, as you said, love-hate relationship to the people. And um, yeah, so they are professionals and more important than being professionals from my point of view, they are the soul and they are the creator of this. And I don't want to romanticize everything because as we said, there's things that we like, things we don't like, but I, I 
always want to question um, where do you put yourself to actually question these things or to say what you say, you know, like mm -hmm. in relation to the other, you know. And this is what was challenging in the book, uh, the always asking myself who I am to say that and why I'm saying that, what is the relation between me and Behet and what is the power dynamic and, you know, like it's not easy. <laughs> Uh, yeah, for sure. And uh, it was interesting to read uh, uh, the, your book had a whole section of actual interviews directly with uh, uh, people who practice. And I think in this case, when you're talking about professional dances, it's not necessarily about having that as a profession. It's also from perspective of putting a deliberate time and energy and mind into practice because they actually... Uh, come up with movements, they polish movements, they try to do like together, like maybe come up with do it's not necessarily choreographies, but like have this interaction if they're dancing in a group that they appear. And uh, this concept of uh, competitions or battles like in hip hop or breakdowns, the same appears in the Mahragana, that was very interesting. It also was very interesting to talk about, to read about the concept of where Mahragana originated. And I'm talking about Mahraganat as a dance, because you mentioned Mahraganat is first of all music. And you also mentioned that from your childhood, you remember seeing uh, knife fights in the street where you lived. And this concept of a street, which was so surprising how you put it, that it's public space, but in those specific districts, it kind of also... Uh, was considered like a private space of the community. So speaking about maybe some memories from your childhood or maybe what you observed when you were researching or, or discovered when you were researching uh, material for this book, like what exactly do you mean by street as sort of a private space of community? What exactly happens on those kind of streets? And we are not talking about, uh, I don't know, Taksim Square in Cairo or some street in, in Zamal. Like, like we are talking about uh, uh, more like uh, in-depth Cairo region, um, districts uh, where this field is still exists. Because uh, Mahriganat, as also I remember from your book, you were saying that it's one of the few dances that still can be seen as a dance on the street because we don't really see any other social dances just random on the street in Cairo. Mahraganan, because of its relationship to the street as a very interesting concept of what street is. So um, what exactly happens on the streets? Like maybe you have some memories that you want to share from your childhood or later on, like, but to share a little bit from a person who maybe never been to Cairo and doesn't even understand what, what we are talking about right now. <laughs> Yeah, I, it's very hard to uh, try to um, put it in words, but I think I think it exists everywhere. I think um, for these neighborhoods, the, the, the street is a public space, but because there is a very strong social connection between people. So somehow they act as a big family. So the, and it also, really goes back to really all the, the social uh, structure from old um, time, you know, like there was always, a, for example, a big guy in this neighborhood who everyone will come to when they need anything. It's 
kind of not the police, but there is a person who they respect respect that they will come to to ask. And if there is a fight, they all come to him and he, you know. So this structure, I think, stayed. But of course, it dissolved a bit from like how people, we got more and the, the it, it didn't become that personal. But there is a social structure that uh, connects those people together uh, if they live um and the rules, as you lived in Egypt, the rules in the street is very, very hard to grasp for someone who uh, is not from here or didn't stay long enough. Or, you know, it takes time to understand the codes of the streets. So it could be this street that you can dance and be next to it or by the end of it, you can't do anything, you know. So it's like a social codes that everyone understands and agrees on and just you pass it on for generations and but no no one knows actually why it's happening i mean there is of course an explanation but i think for this neighborhoods for me when i was a kid in this like um, a pyramid uh, district in haram this uh, street um uh, yeah we knew everyone we all like we knew all the families and there was this big family uh, like a kind of I think now they were drug dealers. I don't, I'm not so sure. But there was always this constant fight and the police comes to this house and, you know, like you see the father and the son fighting with the knife or walking in the street with no shirt and showing the knives like that they are strong. And I think it's all with the knife is like showing power and, you know, like you have to take care and who is the power. Yeah, who is showing power and you have to like, it's like a, you know, like it's like a battle in mm-hmm. a social battle. Um, and for the street, it's really, really, uh, it's, as I say also in the, in the book, I mean, it's very hard to understand. Like there is a, 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 like in the street, there is a wedding. Women are dancing very freely, very like, you know, like doing all the movement, like everything is happening next morning those girls have to walk in a certain you know like it's just uh very absurd but i think everything exists uh because there's this kind of uh protection they believe in their in each other in the protection so when there is a wedding they know that everyone invited no one will break the social no one will dare to do a mistake or i don't know harass someone or i don't know like even when the fight happens it has to end because then you're I don't know how to say it in English, but you will put yourself in a position where uh, like people will say, ah, oh, you didn't really watch for what you're doing. And you, for example, ruined the wedding of someone. And this will be really a bad reputation, you know, like, so they act as a family. And actually, this is what Behat was saying. For example, when I asked him uh, if any dance would turn into a fight, and he said, of course, some um, dance would turn into in a fight if someone is like teasing me or but and then he said but usually I just ignore this and I try not to go there because it, we are here to dance and there is a wedding and we don't want to destroy the wedding so usually it's it could happen but the majority does don't want to do that you know so the street as a private place is something that I think uh, uh, less privileged people uh, have because they don't have access to other uh, places where they can entertain or uh, it's um, it's their street, their wedding platform, their, you know, like it's everything. So I think it just 
uh, they claim the space. And I love this about it. I love, I love, like there is, I would agree and disagree about lots of things uh, when it comes to music, Maharbanot uh, music or dance. But I really love that they claim, reclaim their space in the street. That actually when you go to Zemelik or other places where it's middle class or higher middle class, you don't see that. There is a certain codes that is happening in the street uh, since very, very long time. Uh, that uh, it's very hard. It's very hard to break uh, who's here now, why you're here now, and uh, somehow everyone agrees that those streets are for those people and they can do whatever. And this for me is very, uh, it touches me, you know, like that at least this is happening, you know. Uh, I understand that this comes from a place where they because there's no alternatives but i i think we all need to reclaim our spaces in the street because um otherwise we're all doing everything in private places you know like it's just you you just show yourself in a private place and you cannot really uh use the street for something that is actually connecting everyone which is this kind of dance that everyone knows you know um but we need to know also that if you're not from the neighborhood, it also would be very hard for you to enter if you're from, if, if you're an outsider. Like I entered all this because I had the hair and I had people from there who would let me know about the wedding, first of all, know the way and um, protect me uh, in, in this social structure that, oh, she's with the hair then everyone will be nice to me. Everyone will, they will trust me, you know, like, because it's all about trust because I understand the relation between police and those people uh, who um, always uh, accused by whatever they want to accuse, you know, like because you're poor, you're, I don't know, you know, you're a drug dealer or whatever. So I think you need you need to be trusted to enter uh, the neighborhood. So and this is this what makes it private, that it's not that you just walk in the street and you find yourself there. If you're not from there, there will be people who will tell you, oh, no, you can't pass now, go from the other way. Even if you, you know, like if you live in two streets after. So I think this is what makes it more private, that they, the people are in control of the street. Uh, I have two things in my mind right now. Let's start with a question. <laughs> you mentioned that dance may turn into a fight. Why would dance... What can be a reason if it's a dance, suddenly it turns into a fight? Because I think it's we need to first agree what is dance. I mean, I this is this is the whole that I mean, I don't want to speak for them, but I know that uh, what we call dance, Mahrabanot dance, or this kind of movement for them, it's expression, it's 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 expressing themselves, expressing their life. I hope I am right, <laughs> but this is what I understood from the people that I talked with. Like, it's a practice more than art. So it's a practice that they do and they play with and they fight with. And so it could turn into a fight because it's about power dynamics. So I, when I, when I dance with the knife, it's not to only show off that I can dance with the knife. It's also resembling and mimicking the movement that I do in a fight when I actually fight with this knife. So they actually have this kind of fight. So 
sometimes it's very edgy. So it depends who's dancing with who. So if me and you have history together in the street that we are, you know, like the big two who are like trying to take the power, blah, blah, blah. And we are in this invited. So if I do a movement that minimize you or make you look like make people laugh, uh, it could easily heat it heated up and then end in a fight but i think what i understood from Bahia that this is really rarely happens especially in weddings and stuff that it like people usually uh are in a good mood and they are dancing and sometimes they're alone and they're you know like trans but sometimes because of personal histories between people it might end up in a in a in a fight you know um especially it's using kind of certain you know like a certain like fight movement in a way yeah and actually uh, they do dance uh, with a knife like uh, uh, again i'm talking yeah. about uh, perspective of what we as foreign ballet dancers know about Mahaganat. we keep on oh it's imitation of movements but yeah some people in egypt who actually do it they do imitation of movements but some people actually do the movements with a knife literally with a knife and it's not that small life <laughs> when you see the actual video. But another yeah. thing that I wanted just to mention um, from another perspective, because this uh, feels a little bit conflicting to me. We are talking here about, I don't know, potential drug dealers or people walking on the street showing knives or dance turning to fight. It, it feels very edgy, very dangerous. And it's such a contrast to the feel uh, what you feel when you just live in Egypt without knowing about this, like little, not little, but like this thing that can happen in, in a neighborhood and they're closed sort of communities on their streets because uh, we spend in Egypt most of the time actually around that area, around pyramids, around um, Harand Street, uh, uh, and we heard sounds of weddings. We never ended up actually seeing uh, community weddings in that area specifically, but we heard. But in general, the feel in Egypt, it's very safe. Like you don't get, at least like as a foreigner, I don't know, maybe walking a little in the middle of the night somewhere really, really in a strange neighborhood, uh, some streets, etc. But overall, even in the evening, even if you walk in those areas, like you kind of, you don't get a feel of uh, danger around you. Like many people and yeah. many many foreigners, even when I talk to, they feel like, oh, I feel more dangerous in US in some cities and streets than here in, in Cairo, in Egypt. So it just brought my attention how, like the conflict is like, oh, we're talking here about knife uh, fights, uh, drugs, etc. <laughs> and at the same time, it's pretty safe space, or at least it's pretty safe space. I don't know, maybe just for foreigners, but I think in overall, like it's not really, Cairo is not really a dangerous uh, city at all from this perspective. First of all, I want to say that I don't say that they are drug dealers. I said that this is what people would want to think of them mm -hmm. i don't know maybe they mm -hmm. are, but it's not my position to say that uh but i think this gang marginalized neighborhoods is exist everywhere you know like it's like the black neighborhoods in us you know it's just and because they are this 
uh, uh, less privileged than the other compared to whatever uh, neighborhood or class. Uh, usually, they're more. Uh, um, they have more less social security from the state. They have less uh, support in many aspects and and this makes them create their own social structure and this is what i was talking about they they have their social structure and actually in in this uh, neighborhood there is moral and um uh, like more like a moral uh, law or rules that uh, uh, you, you won't be able to do something and then run away with it and this is why i think there is also part of the book when we talk about actually people going to other, like if they want to do something or like a teenager, I mean, because it exists in all the classes. I mean, it's not about being from a poor um, uh, social class or lower social class that you by default a harasser or I don't know, like, you know, like this is a very, from my point of view, like a very stupid uh, perspective. Uh, and we all know about rich people and middle class. It exists everywhere and it exists because the problem that is in the society and not related to specific uh, social group, you know. Uh, but anyway, like if a group of teenagers want to do something, they will never or like really doing it in the neighborhood. They will go to downtown where everyone from everywhere and then it happens there or like to walk behind girls or whatever, you know. So it will be less to do it uh, in their street because then the father know the other father and it might be a bigger problem. I don't want to go in... Um, the conversation of women and violence and blah 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 I don't think it's dangerous it's all about perspective and I think dancing with the knife um, I think the fights that happens uh, in this um, neighborhoods is more about uh, relation between those people uh, like any other people in uh, like in Zamalek for example there is no connection between neighbors people not necessarily know each other but in other more uh, shabby uh, neighborhoods, no, people know, like they know their neighbors, there is connection, they are usually, you know, like in a social uh, relation, you know. Uh, and this why also this creates fights in a way, like a family. So that's why fights will happen more in Haram than in Zamalek, for example, because people uh, engage with, with, with each other more in Haram than in Zamalek as neighbors you know mm -hmm. uh, i think any country could be dangerous and any country could be i mean of course there's kind of um social like like law that could prevent things and how the state is uh, i don't know like having laws against uh, harassment or i don't know then people would respect that and you know, and I think Egypt, the social structure is controlling it more than anything else. And people would, it's very, very, very complex, very complex that the person who would harass you could be at the same moment, if you say something, then he start to defend you against that. You know, like it's just really, really complex. It's There is no black and white. And I don't believe in black and white. I don't believe that... Uh, um, uh, low class blah, 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 or middle class blah, blah. I think it's very complex and in Egypt it's really like the streets like there's lots of rules and codes that no one understands unless you're just from there and sometimes even for me it's very hard to 
to understand why this is happening. You just know it and it's familiar, no? So I don't think it's dangerous. And I understand, for example, in US, it's different reality, different, you know, like it's it's really completely different. And in Egypt, the knives, and uh, we call it white weapons, they call it, uh, they don't, I mean, they don't use it to other people in a way like other people when we say like they don't walk with it until like going to the malik for example to take something this doesn't happen in that way you know mm-hmm. and um um i i don't know if egypt is safe or not safe you know like i think it's it's situations and uh, it depends how you feel where you are what you're doing uh, how do you approach people how do you uh do you approach people with a previous assumption about them that actually activate a specific trigger on them and make them attack you? Or And I'm not excusing anyone to attack anyone, but I'm just, I really believe, I traveled to China, I lived in Germany, and I really believe that, um, of course, China, for example, there is zero crime, zero effort, because it's very, very uh, uh controlled you know like everything is filmed everything no one can do anything no one can stole you, steal your phone because they won't do anything with it you know it just <laughs> um there is a specific feeling there the specific feeling in germany and in egypt i think the social structure works as a basic for everything um and uh, it's really really hard to understand and i it's a different research to understand the Egyptian persona and to understand the, the social components of these uh, people like that I belong to, you know, like um, uh, they really act differently and they would act differently in the same situation and you'll never know why, you know. <laughs> so uh, I agree it's not dangerous in the way that they would uh, say in the West. It's not dangerous at all. Um, and of course, there's more dangerous places in the uh, globe, but uh, um, you just need to understand the codes. And sometimes some people are flexible to understand the codes. Uh, and if, Or even they don't understand that they just flexible to go with the thing so they don't really trigger the monster, you know. Mm-hmm. And some other people, I think, are more rigid and they just bump everywhere when they go to a new place, you know. So it's just, I think it's all about being present and uh, being with the people and trying to really be with them and not in a different um, uh, level of uh, relation. Yeah, I just wanted to uh, specify and clarify it because I understand that listening to our today's conversation, someone may get scared, like, oh my God, it's so dangerous, I never go to Egypt. <laughs> and that's really not the case <laughs> because uh, uh, like crime and violence, they exist in absolutely every country. But from my experience of traveling, I felt like Egypt is one of the most like safest you as a rule you don't worry walking simple on the street that someone come with a knife and poke you to take your phone which for instance yeah. in brazil in certain cities it's literally everyday uh, worry for some people from certain cities southern neighborhoods in egypt and Cairo, it's not really a thing even despite we are talking about the topic that we have today <laughs> Oh no! Yeah. <laughs> Just to clarify, not to scare people. Like, no, go visit Egypt. It's cool. <laughs> Talk about the knife. I think it's yeah. I I agree with you. I also know from friends who went to Colombia and 
I understand the the definition of dangerous is also a bit, uh, you know, like, but I don't think, you know, in Egypt there's uh, other ways. Maybe they, uh, uh, they, I don't think they are so violent. They have their other ways to take your money. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. <laughs> ah, but that's a different conversation. It can be a separate interview <laughs> to talk about that. Well, um, coming back to the book and especially to the section about interviews, another thing that really brought my attention is that many Mahagana dancers, they kind of, it felt, I'm just sharing my feeling, my observation, uh, it, or my impression, it felt like they kind of look from up down towards what we call belly dance. Or in the book, they they refer the translation you put it's belly dance. They usually used. It's not really a thing to call it belly dance, like a belly dance, uh, more common would be. But they kind of felt like oh, it's almost like I put the quotes like jokingly, like almost as if it's beneath them. <laughs> <laughs> to, to the belly dance, to the belly dance, uh, to use that vocabulary. Why do you think uh, this is happening? And is it just happened to be a perspective of a few people who you interview? Or you felt, again, this will be just your impressions and your observations, like you felt that it's in general a trend about among people who are more into Mahraganat, kind of like push a little bit aside, like belly dance. <laughs> Uh, belly dance has a very long history and I think it's not Maharaganath dancers who actually uh, have this uh, look to, I think it's the whole society and also I don't think for example in the contemporary dance scene in Europe they look the same to the belly dance and they, they say that's a seduction uh, dance and blah 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 you know and I had lots of conversation with people who would not put the belly dance on the same level with whatever other contemporary techniques like Marsagram or whatever uh, and I think this comes from uh, that um, uh, who are the most practitioners or like people who belly dance are women and because the endless conversation about women and women bodies and what women could do and where and how it's very complicated you know and i think belly dance in egypt took a really long uh, journey and uh, in a very specific time uh, they um, had they put this stigma on belly dance that anyone who's belly dancing then they are uh, prostitute and this has a story that is in the book and uh, like explaining why. But in general, I don't think um, it's about Mahragonat dancers or uh, uh, um, people uh, uh, from uh, lower class that they see the belly dance. I think it's everywhere. And I think um, in the middle class as well, like if a girl will go and say, I want to be a belly dancer, it will be a, a horrible, you know, like, it's like, oh, my my heart. And I think it's because the stigma, the social stigma that had with belly dance as an act of prostitution or as a door for prostitution or that uh, that you're showing your body and let's then, it's a different also conversation, let's then talk about what is uh, uh, okay for a female body to do in private or public spaces, you know? So, uh, in belly dance, there is this freedom. There is this. Um, 
if I take the seduction away because I don't want to go there because I don't think belly dance is only about that, but it is openly using your body in a very free way. And, you know, of course, so showing your body, not be not feeling, and there is a lot of shame and a lot of stigma for the female body in Egypt. So it is not about them saying this. I think it's the whole society, unless you are from a very rich top uh uh, class and you don't care about this so you can do whatever because no one will do anything it's again like this tiktok uh, case from the girls who did uh, uh, they performed specific kind of movement and then they got arrested and da, 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 da. you can see that a rich 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 girl who would do the same and no one would do the, that for her because they can play the social uh, game on the, the people who belong to lower uh, social class then the, because they can travel, they can do whatever, they can just easily, my parents are okay with it, go fuck yourself. Mm -hmm. So, um, um, so the belly dance, of course, so in this specific interview and in this specific context, it's very funny. It's again, uh, when you use the female movement, it means that you are as a man, um, that you are, as Behet said, that if I want to make fun from the person who's in front of me, I would just do the one movement of belly dance, like he's doing something like very sharp, and he's just do, doing this. It's mean that I'm, I'm not taking you serious, serious, you know, like you're trying so hard to work with the knife and just doing one belly dance movement to show you that you're nothing, you know. And I think again, I'm asking this question in the book, like, is all the female, like when we talk about all the and um, wavy spiral soft movement uh, uh, whether it's a man or a woman uh, you are accused by being uh, less powerful or in a seduction way or that uh, you want to you want to imitate the masculine it's it is a patriarchal society it is the masculinity is something really present in the Egyptian society and it is representing all the good, like powerful, good, uh, even the woman who would do the dance with the knife. Ah, oh, look at this girl. She's very good. And, you know, like because she's taking the language for the elite, like the the, the men, you know, and belly dance has a really. Um, but in the same time, in this same circles, there is those uh, men who's that who are belly dancer i reckon and they're really really good as also Beh has said that he has friends who really dance like a professional belly dancer they're very good and i know lots of male friends who are really good and they use it in this private events because you're always afraid of judgment in egypt and i think judgment is something that's really present as well in egypt um so this is again the 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 the, the magic of it that there is this look to belly dance, but in the same time, there are also those guys who will come to the, be the to the wedding and everyone is happy that they're belly dancing because they, they're very good and they will laugh and like, yeah, look at him, you know, like in this way. Or uh, the gay in the neighborhood that everyone knows that he's gay, but no one w wants to really talk about it, but they all accept him in a way, you know. It's really, really hard to understand why they would accept this guy, but not this guy. They would make fun because they're afraid that anyone would know that they're gay. I don't know. Like, it's really, really um, different. But belly dance in specifically um, had the stigma in the 60s, up 60s, 70s, 80s, 
about all those movies about belly dancers who are coming back to God and that they regret everything or belly dancers who uh, do this because they don't have money and then they end up being a prostitute. So there was all like social movement against, uh, from my point of view, like there was lots of movies about how a belly dancer ends up being, a, if you're a belly dancer, then you're a prostitute. If you do that, then, you know, like, uh, so with time, it, it's always a revolutionary act for women to decide to be a belly, dance, belly dancer and then to become famous and then to become respectful. And then, you know, like, it's just all those layers, you know, like, um, and it's not them. It's, uh, they are just afraid of the judgment from my point of view. They don't want to do it because they know by default, people will judge him. If they are like Shahda and Allah, their uh, girls, their brothers or their neighbors will will shame them or judge them if they use their body in that such a way. But in their private events, they do it. And they actually find it nice, you know? They don't want people to know that they're doing it. Yeah, it's so interesting. Like so many layers and layers. And it yeah. is interesting because of course, Baladins has its own stigma and we talk but also Mahraganat music and that's also had its own stigma and then hearing yeah. like in the interviews this little comments that kind of gave impression like oh wait but you kind of in love with this Mahraganat style which has a lot stigma but then you stigmatize another than that it, it just was so fascinating yeah. and it's as I said like so many layers and layers and so many conflicts literally like it's two opposite things that conflict each other, but at the same time, they both exist at the same time. <laughs> and even the name of your book, you chose to put not just Mahraganat, but you put Mahraganat in Egypt between acceptance and rejection. Again, it's this conflict. Um, how did you come up with the name of the book? Was it an easy decision for you? Like it came up right away from the beginning or it later came? Like what exactly you put in those words? between acceptance and rejection? Um, no, actually in the beginning called in Arabic, also in the Arabic title, it's called Tashfiru Tashkil An which means, um, okay, Tashfiru Tashkil, those two words, Tashfir means like uh, coding, and Tashkil is the name of the movement that you do with your hands, like shaping. So in the street, I would say I am that I am shaping and this means this kind of movement that you do uh, in the street with your hands as if you're having the knife without having the knife mm -hmm. so without having the knife the name is Tashkir and Tashfir is coding and also uh, blading like the blade of the so I had those two words and I wanted to have this title and then um when I was, uh, because the, the book is published by the Academy of Media Art, like this, the, in Cologne, in Germany. And the uh, mentor was telling me that I need to add a subtitle to let people who are not from there, or like, what is this? Like, okay, um, forming and blading, what is this? You have to have like a, something that's saying that uh, dance in Egypt or whatever. And for me, because the whole thing that I was, reading about was like about people who are pro and people who are against you know so then came like in the arabic title is actually that if i translate the arabic title exactly it's like about uh, mahragana dance in egypt but the english one is having the uh, uh, acceptance and rejection and because 
there was this two also because the book is in Arabic and English and there was two always like this two angles and um there is this uh fight love love hate relationship so it's this it's something that you love and you something you accept and something you don't accept and so I think one of the most um the, the one of the important elements of Mahaganat that uh, you don't like you like no like there is no one thing that everyone agrees on you know like there is some people accept it very hardly and they like it and some other not and some people accept but and some reject but you know like so and I think this was the whole research like the in the the real not the movement and the dance but like about the social context and um uh, how the society is dealing with them so it was about who is accepting this and who is rejecting it and why mm -hmm. I'm trying to present this I, I felt that this would be the title that I would attract people to read the book you know like uh, if you accept then welcome if you reject then also welcome <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah that's uh, talking directly to audience but it's also very descriptive of the uh, genre itself and what is happening in yes, society and yes. there yes uh, speaking of the book itself, uh, you mentioned that the book is in both languages, in Arabic and in English, but you also had very interesting design uh, solution because in the middle of the book, there is another section which is basically a demonstration of movement, movements from a Haganah dance, and you put it on a semi-transparent paper which creates an interesting effect. Can you tell a little bit uh, about that uh, from media creation perspective like why what was the idea and uh, what was the process of doing that uh, this was the first first uh, um this was one of the first ideas that i had when i thought about the book i oh, i immediately knew that i want i was thinking a lot how can i present the movement without talking like beside talking about it you know and um i had a flip book we call this thing flip book and i really liked it uh, actually and um, then it came to me like yeah i can do the flip idea that to have like um, photos like uh, that uh, represent the movement and then print it in a transparent so it creates the movement if you flip it and in the same time it's transparent you see the 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 whole like the, the if you just don't move it as well you see the whole arms and everything from one the, the first one um i had many ideas and i kind of played with lots of things but this was one of the my favorite because uh it's very simple and it creates the um, the effect of movement but also it could be each picture and you have the name of the movement you know so for me, this was the most simple and nice uh, illustration of how to present a movement in the book. Um, but yeah, this was really actually I printed one only for like only for the movement to show it to my painters in the school, and I was like showing them, yeah, and this is the movement, and and uh, and then uh, together when I worked with Shahd Sabo, uh, the de designer of the book. Um, she took this and then she uh, worked with the other layers of the book. So the the movement part is really one of the oldest and actually uh, um, was um, cut and everything by Amal Hamid, uh, my cousin, who's also a book designer, but couldn't uh, continue the book with me. 
Um, so the, the, the design of the book took many layers, but this one idea, I had it from the beginning, and this is how I translated the movement to the people without moving. So I, I showed them this and I was talking about like, oh, this is how it works, you know. How was your uh, design solution to do it like from right to left or from left to right? Uh, this was really like, there was lots of opinions. I wanted to have it like how it is, but I had lots of, uh, like Shahid in the beginning wanted me to have one paper and one paper, one page and one page, one page in Arabic and one page in English. And somehow I didn't want this because for me, uh, the Arabic is not necessary if it is um very close translation but it's not like you know like exactly it is kind of but i wanted to have that actually the arabic version is uh what i um separated and then the movement brings them together and this english part is how i try to connect this to the other people who don't speak the language uh, so I didn't. I I don't know why I really didn't like the page and page, and I find it very distracting. And the people would look, you know, like uh, if you know the both languages, then it would be very confusing because then you want to know how it's translated. And there is a. I think there is a beauty of having the journey. If you speak both languages, it's a. It's there is a beauty to have the journey in Arabic and then have it in English, or the opposite. And for people who don't speak Arabic, I think it's nicer to have them in the bubble because also, uh, even though the book is big because it has the two texts, but the, it's not big text to read, you know? So for me, it's it was nicer to have this bubble of, yeah, now you enter the world of Mahargana, just go on without having the distraction of the Arabic calligraphy because it's also, you, people get distracted when there's one page and one page. Mm -hmm. And there was like others, like two, two books in a box and stuff like this. But I think this was the most easy, simple and to the point to what we want uh, design. And bringing them together, because also if you see the title, the title is just rotating from this. So the journey is not ta-ta, you know, like it's just, it's two journeys. It's this languages. I'm trying to say what I want to say in English and but it's one thing, you know. Yeah, and how you connected in the middle through illustrations also. It was interesting blend because I was like, okay, what exactly, how to look through it? Like it, it takes a minute to figure out like, oh, is it from this flow or from opposite flow? And it's interesting to observe both directions <laughs> yeah. to see how, how it's up. And the, the design pages are not the same in the Arabic and in English. It's different design. So this is this is what we wanted. Like we didn't want a copy of the Arabic, but in English. We wanted to create a different uh, design and yeah, and present it as it is. So the book was uh, published uh, in uh, Germany, and uh, I know many <laughs> of our listeners right now probably wonder, okay, I want to get a book and read it. So is it available anywhere for international uh, purchase, for international order, if people can get it somewhere? Yes. Uh, um, so uh, through my website, uh in the page of the book uh there is a link where you can order the the or also through the academy of media art uh, cologne uh 
in Germany. You can order the book uh, there. There is a link where you click and then you write an email, basically say that I want to have the book from Hendel Baruti. Then they tell you the uh, shipping expenses and then they send it. And also it exists in Berlin, in Hendel uh, Ganub bookstore. And they also ship online. Uh, unfortunately, it's not in U.S. yet. Actually, there is some copies, but they are only for um, showing not to sell in California. But uh, maybe, hopefully, this year I would be there. Um, and in Egypt, it's all sold out. So let's hope that I find a um, publisher who's interested in a second edition. Then it will be better distributed, hopefully. But... Um, uh, I uh, had limited uh, copies because I did this on my own expenses uh, with uh, some support from the academy. Um, so now there is really little, like limited copies available. Um, but still there is some in Berlin and I think there is some in the academy. Um, and you can find the link uh, via my website, uh, which is hendelbaluti.com. It's... Uh, I don't know how we can share this with people. <laughs> I think if they write the title of the book uh, in Google, uh, then all the links will come out. Mm -hmm. Well, I will definitely share links in the show notes uh, to this episode mm -hmm. so people can go directly to your website and your social media, or they can search uh, the book title exactly is Maharganat in Egypt between acceptance and rejection. So information also will be there. And I also highly encourage everyone to go and grab the last copies. I grabbed, I think, one of the last ones that you had in Egypt. So I'm very happy yes. about that. <laughs> and I highly encourage, because we talked about a lot of things that you discuss in, in book, but not even nearly a mentioned a half of that. Like you have a, um, such a big section about describing different types of Mahragana dance, because we all talk, oh, Mahragana dance, Mahragana dance. It's not just one dance, there are different you also demonstrate in the photo uh, section the vocabulary because in Mahagana dance, at least now, what's happening, it's just as you were mentioned earlier about belly dance that, oh, we have names for each movement. It's the same happens yeah. in Mahagana dance. There is a special vocabulary and you demonstrated at least part of it, the illustration. Plus, you talk a lot about stories about your research, how you did research, actual interviews with people, with dancers, um, it's very fascinating to see and a very different insight uh, from uh, many other sources that are available. They are limited, but whatever is available, it's still very, very different, uh, different perspective and different uh, um, look at uh, an approach to Mahagana dance. So thank you for doing this work and I highly encourage everyone to go grab the copy. And of course, let's put a call out for if anyone who works in publishing area listening to us uh, <laughs> or maybe someone who is yes. uh, you know, strong in the fundraisings or something like that uh, and willing to help with the project, I definitely think it's worth to worth uh, doing more and doing second edition of the book. You had... Uh, very successful uh, first edition uh, and uh, it, this work needs to exist in the world uh, more and what people need oh, to discover <laughs> about different different aspects and different sides of the culture and and the dance so it's very interesting and very 
inspiring to see people doing this kind of research and put it out in the world. So if anyone listens who can help with spreading uh, the book, uh, reach out to hand. I will put your website and your social. What is the best way to, to reach you out or which social media you prefer? <laughs> uh, Instagram is the one, I think. Then the email, Instagram or email. And I think the email is on the website, so. Sounds good. So I will include link to Instagram and to your website and people can easily uh, find you there. Uh, well, um, before I ask our final closing question, uh, I would like to thank you once again to for joining and sharing our insights into your book, into your research, into your passion with dance, with specific Mahraganat uh, music and dance and uh, uh, I'm really excited and happy that we did this interview and I can't wait to put it, already can't wait to put it out in the world. <laughs> oh, thank you. I'm really happy. Thank you, Yana. I'm really happy that we met and that actually we had our talk in the beginning and that finally we managed to, to record and to have this uh, very uh, nice. I always feel uh, it's very nice when people ask me about it and then I go back to this feeling. And um, yeah, so thank you for having me. It's such a pleasure. Oh, by the way, I will, I'm going to do a little shout out to my friend, uh, Morjana, who was one of our previous podcast uh, guests, because that's due to her. I actually discovered about you and your book. Uh, she just shared something <laughs> of her stories randomly about book events, about Mahraganat, etc. And I remember screenshot and I was like, okay, I can't go on that day, but I'll save it and research what's that. So if if Morjana is uh, listening to us, <laughs> thank you. Yes, for thank you, Morjana, for connecting us. <laughs> well, to close up our today's conversation, I have a traditional question which I ask every single time, every guest, regardless of what we mm -hmm. talked during the podcast. So this time I will slightly extend it uh, due to the subject of what our discussion. But the question is. What makes you fall in love with ballet dance? And if you want, you can add with Mahraganat music and dance. What makes you fall in love with them again and again so you keep doing them for so many years? I think is that it's very... Uh, uh, it's very free and you can always approach it always from different angles it's not one thing that you learn and that's it it depends how old are you where you where you are i think it really um it's a language that uh, i approach and surprise myself every time when i do it that wow it's a complete different feeling when i do this now and i think um in general with dance is um, one of the art that makes you, you, you have to be present. It's the moment when you're on stage. There is nothing can explain the feeling, even if it's recorded, even if you're, you know, it's just this moment that you live. And I think with belly dance and Mahogana dance, I think it just makes me feel, uh, brings me back to me inside. And and it's something that I, I think I would never lose. So it's the door to to me instead of out um yeah so so that's why i i i i think it's bringing back uh the freedom 
bringing back the freedom. It's really, really free. And I think um, you can do it for fun. You can do it for joy. You can do it for a profession. You can do it because you're bored. You can, you know, it's always different. This episode was brought to you by the Yana Dance Club, bringing more consistency and more fun into your dance training online. Check it out at yanadanceclub.com, direct link in the show notes. And before you leave, don't forget to screenshot this episode and share it with your friends, as well as leave a review on iTunes or any other app you're using to listen to the show. The more people know about this podcast, the easier it is for me to bring even more awesome guests. Until next time, keep shimming and keep dancing.